Dear listeners, Sairam and greetings from Prashanti Nilayam. Welcome to our radio program, Afternoon Satsang. This is a segment of Radio Sai's Thursday Live, hosted by Prem and Arvind at 12.30pm Indian Standard Time on Thursdays, only on Asia's stream of Radio Sai Global Harmony. The discussion is on the Ramakatha Rasavahini, a book written by Swami, and today's episode was first broadcast live on 19th June 2014. Have a listen, please. Sairam, dear listeners, and before anything, let me express our wholehearted gratitude to Bhagwan. We are here, me Arvind from Team Radio Sai and along with me brother Prem. And we are here for another episode of Afternoon Satsang. And as you know, this week we are returning to the Ramayana. And so, for the Afternoon Satsang, along with Bhagwan who is always with us during every Satsang, we have Lord Shri Hanuman, who they say is present every time at any place whenever the glory of his Lord Shri Rama is sung. You know, we make it a point to remind ourselves every time that Lord Hanuman is here with us because it's such an inspiration for us. It's such an inspiration to what we should evolve into. Just like Hanuman is present always, wherever, whenever the glory of Lord Rama is sung, we too should try to imbibe and develop that devotion so that wherever the glory of our Sai Rama is sung, whenever it is sung, we lose our sleep, we lose our hunger, we lose everything else and we become one in that beautiful bliss of remembrance of his story and his glory. Sairam Prem. Sairam Arvind. So as always, dear listeners, let us begin this week's episode of Afnun Satsang, Ramakatha Raswaini, by remembering the beautiful and the necklace name of Lord Rama. Sri Rama Rama Rami Di Rame Rame Manorame Sahasranama Tattulyam Ramanama Varanane So yeah, Prem, you know, we were so lost in this beautiful story almost three weeks before and we had reached that point in the Ramayana when the princes have grown up, they have completed their education, they have returned to the kingdom and their father, King Dasharatha, is slowly getting them trained into the martial arts, into warfare, into horse riding and all the other things that a Kshatriya, a protector of the kingdom has to learn. That apart, he is also involving them in discussions of state matters, administration and ruling over the kingdom because someday or the other he has to hand over the reins of the kingdom to the princes. So while all this is happening as part of their continued education, 
education there is this visit a pilgrimage that he plans so that the princes go all around the kingdom and they gain exposure and experience first hand about the living conditions of the people their needs and other things and now you know it's almost a kind of a smooth flow that is in the kingdom of ayodhya everyone is happy the princes have come grown up well the subjects are proud of their king they are proud of their princes and this would be a point in time when we can easily write the story as and they lived happily ever after but as we have seen in the history of avatars the happily ever after doesn't seem to come so quickly because the avatar has a purpose and what seemed like a happy ending is just a happy beginning of the grand avatarhood a grand divine plan that's about to unfold and that happens with the arrival of sage vishwamitra from his himalayan meditative abodes into the kingdom of ayodhya exactly that's where we stop but before we get there a couple of things which happened during that time of course we spoke about yoga vasishta that episode where vasishta comes and gives a very profound piece of work for entire humanity through that episode in the life of lord rama mm. but other interesting thing is dashratha is noting that mother kaiki is much more fond of rama than she is fond of her son bharata aha and so dashratha is feeling that you know this could maybe get him out of the trap which he got himself into when he promised kaikeyi's father that her son would be named the king okay because here is kaikeyi herself saying that this boy will make the ideal king one day uh-huh. so dashratha is beginning to feel that you know that one part of that burden goes away and of course this is the time when he is not very happy with the behavior of lord rama because there is that marked sense of detachment in him and he is wondering whether he will take up the reins of royalty ruling the kingdom he seems so detached right. and solitary and that is the time when vishwamitra makes an entry and uh, the description of vishwamitra entering the court of ayodhya itself is so descriptively written by swami hmm. in ramkatha raswani you know that is where swami's ramkatha raswani is very special because it lays emphasis on very very subtle aspects of indian culture and you know, spirituality the kind of respect even though a person is a royalty even though a person is the king of the realm mm-hmm. the amount of respect and reverence he has to give to a man who has conquered the spiritual kingdoms, kingdoms. you know that is where it shows the way dashratha himself goes to invite vishwamitra when he comes to know that he has come and then he washes his feet gives him the most royal of welcomes gives him a very exalted seat in the court and says that you know he's so delighted to have him and it's such a boon for the whole court to have the presence of vishwamitra who is so immersed in spiritual pursuits you know that is also so symbolic of how material glory and uh, material rule has to bow down before spiritual glory and spiritual rule it is also a message that this is how it should be then alone can you have a rama rajya if you want a kingdom as peaceful prosperous and wonderful as ayodhya that is because you have such a wonderful king a king who bows down before nobody you know when ravana uh, threw a challenge we discussed that how he right. shut him down with just three arrows so it is not that he bows his head before anybody except before spirituality because when spirituality is given the supreme importance that is the way to bring in ramaraja and swami's elaborate description about how not only vishwamitra those few people who accompanied him are also given a welcome because they are part of vishwamitra's retinue and then vishwamitra alone is taken into the royal palace it's a red carpet welcome flowers are showered and his entire path is decked with flowers because he has to tread only on those flowers and then scented water is showered on him and the king himself comes and worships his feet washes his feet i believe there is this tradition of charanamrit you know charanamrit is nothing but the washing of the feet the water the washings that remain that is often consumed as holy tirtham 
and this kind of respect what is given to gods is given to a man of god as well and that is how dasharatha welcomes vishwamitra and of course dasharatha has no idea about what is going to happen next and if you look at vishwamitra he has also done his homework because he comes to dasharatha and, and he starts telling that how happy he is with the way the kingdom is being ruled because mm. he says i have met your subjects i have spoken to them and they all are in praise for the way you have ruled the kingdom and i am so pleased with you are reading this part prem i just got a smile on my face because i was reminded of the way swami speaks in his discourses mm-hmm. you know swami writes that vishwamitra comes and says oh king i will not shower words of praise on you as to how wonderful you are ruling because your subject says this your subject is and then he goes into an entire paragraph in the book on how glorious the king is I am reminded in discourses, Swami would say that Chudandi, mana pillalu gurinji cheppu kurudu. I should not speak about my boys. But you know, and then Swami would go on into almost embarrassing us with the lavishness of his praise. I used to feel that more than telling others about what we are, it used to be more about telling others of what he expects us to be. Because personally, at least that is the only thing I could take it as because the the amount of praise that Swami would lavish in a public discourse, it used to really overwhelm me. And as a student, you know, I used to think what a beautiful master Swami is. Because, you know, Prem, privately, very, very few and far in between are the praises that I received from Swami. Whenever little few interactions that I got, most of it used to be criticism scolding rebuke so many times and means i felt that you know possibly swami is 80% a disciplining father and 20% a loving mother with me that was my uh, opinion that same swami would become an 80% loving mother and 20% scolding and disciplining father when it comes to public what a beautiful message this is about love where you criticize and condemn in private only with the person concerned but when it comes to public you back that person stand by him at any cost wow no wonder you know no wonder you feel such loyalty and love for swami because that convinces you beyond doubt that he is just interested in your improvement and he loves you a lot and he is ready to own you even publicly in spite of all your faults and the other thing which used to happen especially with students is you no know, if any of the elders or devotees would come and complain to swami about students we would get our share you no know, after yes. that we would get what we are supposed to get but swami will be very upset with that devotee also hmm. because we would say you know it's my task to correct my students nobody else should talk ill of them he would defend us in front of that person but then we would get our share of the mistake what we have done will be corrected also that is another uh, beautiful point prem when it comes to god the person who criticizes and the person criticized both would get it i mean there would be nobody who could go closer to god either by being the subject of criticism or by being the person who criticizes the object of criticism so basically if you want to go closer to god you just have to be away from criticism you should not be criticized nor should you criticize we should not criticize we know that and when it comes to we should not get criticized that is where you know swami's message that it is not enough if you are just good you have to be good that is the basis but apart from being good you have to also appear good in the eyes of the world that is where you know following the norms of society following the norms of family or wherever whatever bigger unit we are a part of following the norms at the workplace all that come into importance because it is not only important to be good we should also appear good in the eyes of everyone else you know that's precisely once with in kodakanal when swami was talking to the students there were discussions about great personalities spiritual personalities and then one particular saint's name was taken up in, in swami's presence and he was known as a person who was one of the greatest spiritual masters of the land hmm. and uh, when his name was taken swami said yes he is a very exalted uh, personality is a very spiritual man but he did not dress properly you know that was a surprise because nobody would note that as a defining part of his character everybody would say that his message was so profound the way he taught was so profound 
phone but sami said he did not dress properly sami said that you know however great a person you are there is a certain way you have to live when you are in the society and if you don't follow that there are no excuses for that now that is what happened with digambara swami that right. is what we discussed during the satyam shyam sundaram satsang when he had come without any clothes saying that i am detached the first thing that swami as a teenager did was to throw a towel to him and say that you cover yourself because if you really wish to live like this then go out of society why do you want to come and stay in society as an exception in the society stay out of society where all this is not warranted stay in the jungles that's a different story altogether but yes so coming back to the story so vishwamitra now says all this and when he says all this dashrata is so happy but he says oh sage when there are people like you who set their foot on our kingdom what else can the kingdom be other than prosperous and good and happy and so dashrata is now putting the ball back in vishwamitra's court saying that all the glory and beauty that you have described is a result of meritorious and sage like people like you who have visited the kingdom and again then vishwamitra puts the ball back in dashrata's court by praising him that is a beauty dear listeners you must read that part how beautiful and how many different ways swami carries on this conversation where each one attributes the glory to the other when finally dashrata says oh sage please please do let me know what is the purpose of your visit there definitely must be some wonderful purpose because a person as exalted as you doesn't do anything without a purpose and this must be some really great purpose because you have set aside your sylvan meditative abode and come down to society come down to the kingdom and swami writes that you know these people of great spiritual achievements they had or they have no need for society they are beyond society they are beyond the world they have nothing to gain from the world at all if at all there is anything it is a world that stands to gain from them and it is their selflessness that makes them descend to the world to the society of mortals in order to assist them because they have nothing to gain but they have all to give and this is one more point swami makes so beautifully in the ramkatha rasavahini that that kind of selflessness is an attribute of spirituality where you don't think of only me and my progress alone where you always think of carrying along others too on this spiritual journey in fact we spoken so much about dashrata praising and you know pouring a accolades on uh, vishwamitra i think it, it would be in place to explain the character of vishwamitra because even as you said you know the selflessness of vishwamitra that was one of the outstanding qualities of vishwamitra hmm the other outstanding quality was of course anger <laughs> you know, that was also one of the reasons why dashrata was being uh, effusive in his praise maybe we can uh, say the selflessness as his outstanding quality and the anger as his standing out quality that that was one of the things durvasa and vishwamitra both were right. famous for and the fact is that comes from his antecedents you know what vishwamitra was hmm. because vishwamitra was not his name vishwamitra was title. kind of a title which is conferred on him and swami has said in many times in discourses you know vishwamitra is the one who gave the gayatri mantra hmm. it is supposed to be one of the most beneficial mantras given to common man you know there have been so many mantras and vedas and all that but one mantra which is given commonly to everybody and swami is one person who has come and corrected our notion that it is meant only for brahmins it's meant only for boys swami has said it's a universal mantra it's meant for everybody even women can chant even women should chant mm-hmm. so given the the potency of such a wonderful mantra is given swami says that was why he was called vishwamitra he says he's Friend a to friend the to the entire world mm. because he's benefited them and maybe it would be in place to go a little bit about vishwamitra the character vishwamitra mm. his real name was actually kaushika and he was not a sage he was a king mm-hmm. he was born a king he was akshatriya akshatriya 
a Kshatriya with a Brahmin attribute. Because mm-hmm. you know, he has a very beautiful story. He was, I think, uh, the lineage in which he was born was there was one king called King Kusha. And he was the father of Kushanabha. Mm-hmm. And Kushanabha gave birth to Gadi, who was the father of Vishwamitra, mm-hmm. Kaushika. And Gadi gave birth to a daughter by name Satyavati and she married a Brahmin. It was very common in those days. Surprisingly, it's not intercaste marriages being taboo is I think a very modern okay. <laughs> trade because here you can see Satyavati is actually a princess and she was given in marriage to a Brahmin called Ruchika. Hmm. And now this Brahmin Ruchika, you know, he knew that the mother is a Kshatriya. Uh, just a minute. So that is Kaushika who is Vishwamitra. Vishwamitra's sister Satyavati is given in marriage. Satyavati is, in essence, she is the elder sister of okay. Kaushika, but Kaushika is still not born. Okay, okay. So, Satyavati being a Kshatriya, you know, this Brahmin Ruchika knew that there is a possibility of him getting a son who is a Kshatriya. When we say a son who is a Kshatriya, it means the traits of a Kshatriya. So, he does a special Yagnam. He says that, you know, whoever eats the Prasadam from this Yagna will get a Brahmin son. Okay. Okay, so he gives that Prasadam to his wife Satyavati and uh, instructs her that you take this Prasadam, you will get a Brahmin as a son. Hmm. And uh, the mother of Satyavati, Gadi's wife, she wants a Kshatriya son. Oh, okay. So, okay. so he does another yagna which will give a Kshatriya son and gives that prasadam to Satyavati and tells you give this to your mother. But these women, what they do is they switch the prasadam between themselves. Mm. Brahmin Ruchika and Satyavati, they get a son who is having Kshatriya traits. Okay, a warrior trait. Right. And the mother gets a son who has Brahmin traits. Okay. So the Kshatriya with Brahmin traits is Kaushika. Mm. And the Brahmin with Kshatriya traits is Jamadagni, the okay. father of Parashurama. Parashurama. One more avatar. Right. And that is why even Parashurama is like that. He is born a Brahmin, but he has the traits of a Kshatriya. Mm. That is another total story altogether. Right. That's a completely different story. Let's come back to Kaushika. The beautiful thing of how your birth and what is your qualities are so different. And that is what defines you. It's not just that you're born in a Brahmin family or a Brahmin. Born in a Kshatriya family or a Kshatriya. You know, it's so complex. That's why they say Kaushika, though he became a king, there was always that pull towards spirituality in him. Hmm. And what made him such a phenomenal person even after he became a sage was that nature of being a king. Because mm-hmm. they would say that being a king means, you know, anybody comes and asks you anything, you will give away. Correct. And that is the same trait which he carried when he became a sage also. Anybody okay. would come to him for help, you he would help. And that would even mean depleting his spiritual progress every now and then. And, mm-hmm. you know, the scriptures say that at least twice or thrice he emptied all his spiritual progress in trying to help somebody. So that selflessness that, you know, it, we often think that coming back to the caste thing that a person is by birth. It is not by birth, it is by nature. A Kshatriya is he who is very brave. You know, brave meaning you fight in a battle because you don't mind losing your life. And that bravery comes because of the inherent selflessness. You are concerned more about society. When you have such a trait, then you become a Kshatriya. It is not as if that you are born into a Kshatriya family or a Kshatriya. Now, because of association, you know, in modern science also, they have this thing called environmental factors that determine other than genetic factors. So, because of association, there was a high probability that a child born in a Kshatriya family turns out to be a Kshatriya. A child born in a Brahmin family turns out to be a Brahmin because you see your parents engaged in studies, you see everybody in that teaching, so you may go into teaching. In the same way, you see your parents being brave and giving up their blood 
blood for the others giving up their life for others being selfless being charitable it's most probable that you will take it over so therefore most of the times it used to be that a child born to a kshatriya is a kshatriya but to misunderstand that is totally wrong i remember on one occasion where mm-hmm. swami himself had mentioned this and this incident was narrated i think by our rajmata's grandson okay uh, indreshwar sirohi so he was saying that when it came to his wedding swami said no don't uh, go by the saying that doesn't matter what caste it is it is not like that you are very very soft at heart you are a kshatriya that is what swami said so of course it happens coincidentally that by birth he is kshatriya mm-hmm. but swami said you are a kshatriya which means you have that inherent sacrificial nature so it will be beneficial for society if you get as your wife somebody of a similar nature i have made my point mm-hmm. but i just want to complete that story and he said no swami i don't care about somebody who is having that giving nature who is a kshatriya i would rather prefer a sai devotee i, I don't look into caste right then swami told him no you don't worry you just find a girl who is good tell your parents that because once if you find a girl who is good you don't have to worry her goodness will get automatically attracted to towards my, my godliness. godliness don't worry and now you know he is married he has a child and he often accepts that his wife has much more love and devotion to swami that's what he says of course his own devotion is amazing but he says that he has been blessed to get a wife who is not just the other half but the better half because she is more devoted in her love for swami though she knew nothing about swami at the time of marriage i remember him narrating one particular incident related to this event mm-hmm. swami had told him this thing you know this particular sentence very beautifully i will ensure that her goodness gets attracted to my godliness mm. and after a few months after they had found this bride they came up to swami and they had this interview with swami and he sat right behind and in his mind he said swami now it, it is your turn the ball is in your court we have found a person who is good we have brought her to you now it's up to you to make sure that she gets attracted to you and the interview was going on and apparently in the interview swami revealed so many things only the family knew and after everything the swami would say the mother and the daughter and the and the rest of the family would look at each other and in surprise <laughs> it was the first time they were being in swami's presence and almost every time that happened he said okay one more point and one more point mm-hmm. and at the end of that swami materialized a particular necklace for this this bride to be and uh, swami said oh i'm not giving you earrings to go with this necklace and swami materialized another uh, pair of earrings and gave it to them and said something which was very weird he said see it is red stone not blue referring to the gem which was started in that particular piece of jewelry that seemed out of place yes he said see it is red stone it's not blue or it's not green something like that and he thought it was weird and he saw the face of the mother and the daughter and they were so excited they were so happy when swami said that so after they came out he went up to this bride and he said uh, why did swami say that you know that was very weird he gave you a piece of jewelry but why did he say that and uh, then she had this to say you know she was very fond of antique jewelry hmm. so before coming to swami before making the trip to puttaparthi they had gone jewelry shopping and in one particular shop they found that very same necklace which swami materialized for this girl okay okay the only reason why she didn't buy it though she felt for it at first sight was because the earrings which was paired with these with the necklace were not of the same stone were not red okay one of that was a favorite red stone was a favorite but the earrings alone were of green stone or blue stone okay so they <laughs> did not buy it and here was swami materializing the same necklace giving her matching earrings and yeah and that was one of the incidents which happened you, in that you know prem i think we are actually cheating our listeners by telling we are doing ram katha rasa vahini we are just drifting every now and then into the sai katha rasa vahini but dear listeners please forgive us me and prem here we are hopeless addicts and our drug is satyasai and we are hopelessly addicted and we have no plans of getting out of this addiction so since you would like to listen to the afternoon satsang you have to cooperate with this addiction and try to become addicts yourselves and you know let's complete this
as Vishamitra story because you know one thing why this is a very special story is there are a lot of direct lessons we can learn from this mm. and a lot of subtle lessons as I said he was uh, King Kaushika you know King Kaushika once he goes out for the hunting and in that particular expedition he comes upon a hermitage which happens to be the hermitage of Vasishta oh, the, the preceptor same, of uh, the okay. same preceptor of so connected huh? right? so he goes there and uh, Again, the same scene which happened between Dasharatha and Vishwamitra happens between King Kaushika and Sage Vasishta. This is a hint of the things that are going to come. Right. Each one places the other and everybody okay. they're saying that, you know, it's I'm so glad to host you and the other says, no, no, I'm so glad that I'm able to have your hospitality and all that. The battle of humility. Right. And then, uh, yeah, in, in a sense, then Kaushika says, that, you know, he takes leave. Then Vasishta says, why don't you dine with us? Hmm. So the King Kaushika says, I'm a man who's come with an army of thousand odd people. Where is this hermit going to be able to feed me? So then he explains and very humbly says no uh, sage I've come with so many people and Vasishtha says it's no problem I can take care of all of you and then when they, all of them come he manages to feed the thousands of soldiers and these people with a royal feast so mm-hmm. then King Kaushika is you know all surprised and he wants to know the secret behind this and then he goes up to Vasishtha and says how were you able to feed this is definitely not manually cooked food it's not been produced in the normal way we understand it so industry level production it is right <laughs> so then he takes him to one particular part of the hermitage and he shows a very very divine cow. And Swami says the cow's name is Sabali. So he says, see, this is the cow which was given to me. It's a cow which is, you know, we've all heard of the Kamadenu cow, right? Mm-hmm. Apparently, Kamadenu is something like a, a generic name. Oh, okay. A Kamadenu is like a Kalpavriksha. Right, a Kalpavriksha. A wish-fulfilling tree? A wish-fulfilling cow. cow. It's, it's called, called Kamadenu. Kamadenu. Okay, so okay. You know what? I thought Kamadenu was the name of one particular cow. I didn't know that it's a generic name. Right. Okay. I think there was one Kamadenu which was the, the Kamadenu. The Kamadenu. But okay. Nandini was also a Kamadenu. We spoke Correct. of Nandini Nandini Dilipa. In the story of Dilipa. Mm-hmm. And this Sabali is also a Kamadenu. Aha, okay. So a wish fulfilling cow, Sabali. Right, okay, Sabali. got it. Huh. And uh, Vasishta was gifted this cow by, I think, Brahma or somebody. And this cow was what could, you know, manage to give the feast for this entire army. So, moment Kaushika saw this cow, now he got interested. He said, I am the king of the realm. Such a precious cow should be in my protection and in my care. You know, then I will be able to put this kind of a cow to best use. Mm. You know, you know, you have to feed a few million population when you're the king. But Vasishta says that no, this is not that kind of a cow. It is meant to be living in a hermitage because it needs such kind of surroundings and I cannot give it to you. And that's when a fight starts. So, King Kaushika orders his men to drag the cow to the court. He says, let's abduct the cow. If he's not ready to give it Hmm. willfully, we'll abduct the cow. And then this cow turns to Vasishta and starts speaking. She says, Master, why are you letting me go? I have served you so well, why are you letting me go? And then Vasishta says, see, you can reason with a fellow who is rational but somebody who is behaving irrational and selfishly there is no point talking to him mm. so he says I give you full order to protect yourself and just as she produced you know tons and tons of food she now starts producing millions and millions of hordes of army soldiers mm. you know to protect herself and in the ensuing fight all the soldiers of the king are killed and then King Kaushika realizes that there is something much much more greater than the power which comes with being a king you know, that is what I was thinking is so paradoxical here Vishwamitra here is a king who has everything in the world in the normal sense and Vashishta is a sage who has nothing actually apart from bare minimum and yet Vasishta has that 
which makes even the greatest emperor on earth covet right i think that is symbolic of the might of spiritual grandeur and the worldly grandeur because as swami says spiritual grandeur is like that fruit worldly grandeur is like a shadow of that fruit you get the spiritual grandeur the worldly grandeur comes free you know it's like buy one get one free but on the other hand go for the worldly grandeur you will neither get that nor will you get the fruit i mean it is so clearly seen in the story right and that is what finally happens you know he realizes that there is something vasishta has that is much much more valuable than what he has and then he realizes that vasishta is the owner of a very very uh, special title that of brahma rishi hmm. you know the highest even the sages can attain so then he sets forth he says that i will not stop until i become a brahma rishi myself and then he gives up his kingdom and he goes and he does penance and it so is that's said, like having a good goal but for the wrong reasons right because he wants to get even with vasishta that's the uh-huh. idea he saying. wants to achieve spiritual glory right. to get even huh? right and you know that is the characteristic of his spiritual journey itself hmm. his vengeance and anger against vasishta and his jealousy of vasishta seeing it in a positive light here is a way vishwamitra has shown us or king kaushika has shown us that we can channel our jealousy and anger channel it in such a manner so that it benefits you because all said and done at the end of it i know you're going ahead with the story still now but at the end of it king kaushika becomes sage vishwamitra right and he does become so we know the story the way it ends but you know that's when his journey begins it is said that he does penance for thousands of years mm-hmm. and all the penance is done with this anger and you know jealousy so at the end of thousands of years when brahma comes to confer on him whatever he wants he says you know make me a rishi i've done penance for so long make me a rishi give me that title right and brahma says you shall be called rajarishi oh, okay okay because he's saying that you still have the rajaguna so you're a king also rajarishi is one level it's much lower than a brahmarishi okay okay, okay. Hmm. i think it's rajarishi maharishi and brahmarishi or something like that okay so hmm. rajarishi is like you're given the title but you know they're attaching your previous identity of being a king ha ah, rajarishi yes so he says you still have rajaguna in you so you can only be called a rajarishi at best and so you know kaushika is infuriated he's saying no i will not stop until i become a brahmarishi and then he goes on and in the meanwhile every time he gets chance to be even with vasishta he comes and grabs that opportunity and mm-hmm. one of the most famous stories is the story of trishanku you know i think it's a character which is very commonly quoted in trishanku swarga right. they say okay we'll get the story done and then we'll get the parallel mm-hmm. this trishanku is a very very pious and righteous king mm-hmm. who somehow has got obsessed with the thought that i want to go to heaven in my human body you know he's been such a good king that he definitely has a place in heaven but not with the human body so he goes to vasishta and says that i want to become a you know i want to reach heaven with this human body and vasishta says no this is against the laws of nature so i cannot give you this it's a very wild uh, desire that you have nurtured so you give it up so now he gets very upset he goes to vasishta's sons and he says can you give me this boon it is important to note here that sage vasishta had the capacity to right. fulfill his desire see that is one more beautiful thing about you know avatars and men of god that though they have the ability to transcend and you know overcome the laws of nature they very rarely play with them they Absolutely. don't do it simply for the sake of anything else if at all it is done the benefit from that is far far greater than the so called in quotes sin of playing with the laws of nature right. and absolutely and that's the difference between vasishta and kaushika mm-hmm. because trishanku then goes to the sons of vasishta who are very upset that he is trying to use the back door you know the father <laughs> okay. is refused he is trying to use the back door and trying to get the boon from them so they curse him to be distorted in appearance so mm-hmm. he loses his uh, you know good looks also and he doesn't he still has not won that boon so finally he comes to kaushika knowing the background of the the fight which your, is happening your between. enemy's enemy is your yeah, friend right now. exactly so he goes to kaushika and he says that i went to vasishta and vasishta refused to help me i don't think he can can you right then kaushika says definitely i'll help you then <laughs> 
and it is said that he forms a yagna just to send Trishanku to heaven. And the story goes that with his yogic powers, he raises Trishanku to the heavens and he is midway in the air when the gods in the heaven do not allow him to enter. And okay. Indra pushes him and then after he has risen to the heaven, after some time he hears a voice and he finds that Trishanku is being thrown down to earth. And then again with his yogic powers, he stops him mid-air and he says, if they don't allow you into heaven, I will create a heaven for you. Mm-hmm. In using all his you know, yogic powers, he creates a heaven. That is what is called Trishanku heaven. Ah, which is neither earth nor it is nor heaven. It is heaven. It is somewhere so in the, the middle. Parallel, you know, the use of the Trishanku heaven is if you set out to reach a destination and you compromise and you settle for some midway. You know, midway. You are neither here right, nor there. That is referred to as Trishanku heaven. It is used in a negative manner. Right. And hmm. in the process, the King Kaushika, who is Sage Kaushika now, has used up all his yogic powers. Thousands and thousands of years of penance he has used up. To and create you know, a Trishanku right. Swarga. And that was a quality which was still left with him. He was still that king who had become a sage because there was no discrimination when he wanted to give. Mm-hmm. If anybody would come and ask him, I want this, he would just give, which Vasishta did not do. And that was partially because he just could not think of himself as being unable to fulfill any desire right. of anybody. You know, that is typically of a king's nature. You know, that's what Swami would also say. The royalty would never refuse. That was never their nature. And this happened two, three times. You know, two, three times people came for help to Kaushika and he would give up all his yogic powers. And in the meanwhile, Indra is plotting because he knows that one day this guy is going to become a Brahmarishi and with all his temper, he could be a very dangerous entity for them. So the story goes that they send one of the damsels, damsels there. I think Menaka is sent. And then he is lost. He forgets all his all his ambitions and then he you know, settles with Menaka. For 10 years, he spends in Menaka's company. So it's almost like one by one, then the story goes right. on where each of his weaknesses exactly. are exploited and he is made aware of it and he overcomes it. And that is what is explained in this thing. And that is what Swami always says. The mm-hmm. first one is Menaka and Menaka gives birth to Shakuntala. That's a different story altogether. And Shakuntala is the mother of King Bharata. The King Bharata after whom this country is named. Oh, okay. You know, the Bharata of the uh, Bhagavatam. Mm. Okay, that is a part. So the first one is he falls for Menaka and then he realizes what have I done? Then he goes away. And then the second time Rambha is sent, you know, another damsel and he gets infuriated and curses her. Then after he curses her, he realizes, oh God, I've, I've lost I've myself over- to anger. Yes, I've overcome my desire. Right. but I've, I've overcome lust but I've given myself to anger. Mm. So again, he loses a part of his penance. And you know, every stage this is done and finally it is said that one day he gets bugged of this whole process. He says, the only way is to go and kill Vasishta. Mm-hmm. And you know, this scene is described very beautifully. I think even in Swami has spoken about it. There's one particular day when Vasishta and his wife are sitting and just looking at the night sky and they're looking at the full moon and from behind Kaushika is coming with a huge boulder trying to drop it on Vasishta's head and you know, put an end to him and his misery of the jealousy of Vasishta. And even as he is creeping behind, he hears Vasishta telling his wife Arundhati, you know, he says, look at that full moon. Isn't it as radiant as that great sage Kaushika. Uh-huh. Okay, then Arundhati is saying that, what are you saying? I thought you never liked him. He said, no, imagine what a amazing personality is, what determination. A king, you know, he has done so much and he gives away every time and every time he is able to get back those powers. He said he is truly worth being called a Brahmarish. Hmm. And that is when Kaushika realizes that you know, that his anger and jealousy against Vasishta was totally misplaced and he comes and falls at Vasishta's feet. And then Vasishta himself confers the title. Henceforth you shall be called a Brahmarishi. And that Brahmarishi Vishwamitra 
what a story prem thank you for narrating that to us and that brahmarishi vishwamitra has now arrived to the court of dasharatha to ask him something you know this whole history was important because it makes you wonder what possibly could a sage of that qualification that nature that stature ever need from somebody who he was thousands of years before and thousands of years of penance before something very less compared to his evolution and yet he comes to dasharatha to seek something and i think what he seeks from dasharatha is best narrated by swami himself the conversation of what happens in the dialogue between dasharatha and sage vishwamitra we'll listen to that in swami's own beautiful words vishwamitra varu yaga samrakshana nimittamai nee sri ramachandrani pampali annadu ultimately vishwamitra decided to convey the purpose of his visit he said i want your sons to protect yaga 14 samvatsaralu baluru he said vishwamitra they are 14 yenda kanyarigunatvanti ee kumarullu they are so young that they have they cannot bear any samara nimittamai nee raavinchalanu korutunnavu you want them to kill the demons there idi asadhyamu it's impossible idi veerulu pampataku veelu kaadu annadu it's not possible to send them motta motta nee vachinakunte abhishtani neraverustanu cheppini promise ichadu first he may he promised that he would fulfill the desire kaani ilanti korigenu vishwamitrudu kortadani kalayendaina sankaledu dasaratha maharaju dasaratha never dreamt that vishwamitra would have such a desire ala vicharagrastudayadu dasarathudu and dasaratha felt very very sad ee yokka vishwamitrunu kodanu krodham adhikamavuthu vachindi vishwamitra was very angry dasaratha హృదయులు you got sacred heart meer ee naadu asatyam aadatam anetundi kevalamu mee jaatike oka pedda kalankam if you utter a lie now it's a blot to your family clan anetappudiki dasaratha chaala bayapadipoyadu dasaratha was fear stricken ichina vaagdhanamnu tappekunti vaaru lokamlo maha paapulu annadu he said those who go back on the promise given are the worst of the sinners ichina pramanamnu tappinatundi vaaru etti yagni yagaadikatulu chesinappudikini dani phalam shunyamu annadu whatever ritual you may perform if you go back the promise given well it's all a waste you yanto asamedha yagam chesavu you have conducted asamedha yagam aa putra kamashti yagam nande ee mahapurushulu janmincharu because of putra kamashti yaga you have got son kattagalapadiki nee asatyam aadatam cheta nee pramisha tappatam cheta ivanni kudunu vyartham ayipothundi because of this lies you are uttering now and that you are not going to keep up your promise everything would be a waste cheppi bonkuta kante chaapu unni death is better than withdrawing the promise that you make already cheppi marachuta kanna marame manchidi annadu making a promise and forgetting amounts to death kanaka meer promise ichinarante deeni tappakoddu when once you make a promise you should never go back idi patti manavuniki pradhanamaitundi yokka pramanamu this is the main principle for every person patti manavudu kodanu manusantati vaalle every human being should have this ee manavu yokka pradhanamaitundi yokka lakshyamu satyame according to manu the truth is the primary principle kanukune manavu nundi aavibhavinchinattu vaare manujulu we are the progeny of manu we are manu manujulu satyame pradhanamaitundi sutramu so truth is the main principle for human satyamu tappinappudu vaadu manishiye kaadu 
when we don't stand by the truth we are no humans at all kalkane vasishtha varu ee satyam vishayam lopala inta pedda lecture ithu vachadu so vasishtha was started giving lecture on truth ivi evi dasarithini chevuluku cheraledu dasartha did not pay heed to all this ఆ వేళకి ఆ బ్రాహ్మణుడు అసన్నమైనట్టు వశిష్ఠుల వారు ప్రవేశించారు సంభాషణ రెండు విన్నాడు మీరు ఆడిన మాట తప్పేటువంటి వారు కాదు ఈ బిడ్డల సామాన్యమైనటువంటి బిడ్డలు కారు యువర్ సన్స్ ఆర్ నాట్ ఆర్డినరీ సాక్షాత్ దైవ స్వరూపులే వెరీ డివైన్ ఇలాంటి వారిపై నీకు ఎందుకు ఈ భమ Why are you deluded? Meer emautaru anetunti bhayam kuda nu neeku akkarledu. You don't need to fear what would happen. Sarvaloka samrakshakulu anetunti ee Ramachandrudu neeku ee vidhamaintunte apakaramu gaavinchadu. God who protects the whole world is your son now. Ramachandru ni ketti apakaramu jaragadu. He will never put you any harm whatsoever. Sarva sanga mangalamurti. He is the very embodiment of auspiciousness. Atti mangalamurti paina neevu sandehinchatamu chaala porapaatu. To doubt such the very personality of auspiciousness. Tappakani vishwamitrin venta pampamannadu. And he said that you certainly send your sons. So basically Vishwamitra the sage has come to King Dasharatha and he requests him saying that I need a help from you and when King Dasharatha says you just name it it is yours that time he says I want you to send your children along with me now Dasharatha doesn't even hear for what it is so he says oh sage why 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 do you want my children I will do whatever it is that you need to do they are just young children and they are just finish their education and they don't know anything the thing is you know at this point in time even Dasharatha has no idea what it is for but he just says that whatever it is for i think it's better that i come instead of them that is when you know vishwamitra says all these and he says no and we heard swami explaining so beautifully as to how he says that you can't go against your word you know there is one uh, i think it's a couplet by tulsidas he says ragukula reet sada chala aai pran jaye par vachan na jaye where it says that this is the principle of the ragukula of the ragu dynasty where one will give up one's life but not the given world and so when he reminds dasharatha of that and dasharatha says okay what is it that you want them to do that is when the second shocker comes and vishwamitra says that you know i have taken up a major uh, penance and it's not only mine it's a samuhika penance where all of us sages and saints are coming together to conduct this yagna but our yagna is constantly being bombarded and spoiled by these demons rakshasas ogres so i want them to come and annihilate those demons and rakshasas and save the yagna so that we can complete it wonderfully well and so that is why i want the princess rama and lakshmana and now dasharatha starts crying almost he says oh god what is it that you are doing oh sage i have got experience you know dasharatha would have fought actually a war for the devas that is indra and the others against the demons and he would have been responsible for their victory too and so he says i have got the experience also why do you choose two inexperienced little boys over an experienced fighter like me i will come i will personally come with all my armies please don't take my children but vishwamitra is bent he seems bent upon taking the two princes only and nobody else and that is when you know again as swami explains sage vashishta comes to the picture and sage vashishta is very calm it's so beautiful you know i mean again vashishta and vishwamitra are meeting each other right. in fact swami even adds a few lines of how they 
exchange pleasantries when they see they and warmly you know, greet each warmly other. Greet each other. And Vasishta Singh's praise of Vishwamitra there. He says, oh, oh king, do not underestimate the power of Vishwamitra. And that is when Dasharatha says, I do not underestimate his power. That is why, you know, I wonder, I wonder if he is not able to destroy the demons. What can my little princess do? That is why I am worried. Yeah, there it's a very beautiful thing, you know, there uh, Dasharatha is always saying that, you know, I will come and protect, I will come and protect, I will do it, I will bring my army. He says, I will bring all contingents of my army and protect your yagna. Hmm. And he is only telling about replacing Rama and Lakshmana. And that is when it's finally settled. Vasishta says that no, they will have to go. You have given a word to Vishwamitra. In fact, Vasishta says, O king, you are not understanding that in your attachment, you are coming in the way of an imminent divine declaration. Something right. grand is about to happen now. Just go with the flow. It's almost like Vasishta knows the whole plot, the whole drama. And you know, we mentioned it in the beginning of the Ramkatha Rasavahini also, that all these sages, they have nothing to do, but they all knew that this Rama is going to take birth. The divine is going to take birth in the family and that is why all of a sudden all the sages start aggregating near Ayodhya. That is the reason why even Vasishta has come to Ayodhya so that he can enjoy the proximity of Rama. The same reason is why Vishwamitra has come. It is the wise who realize the divinity in the beginning and later on only the knowledge spreads. So Vishwamitra also has come and Vasishta knows that Vishwamitra has come to play his role in the divine drama which will exhibit and show the world the divinity that is imminent in Rama. Right. And that is when actually they send word to the mothers. They say that these boys have to go. Let's call the mothers. Hmm. And it's Kaushalya who starts this discussion. Hmm. You know, she says that if any good task is done, protection is guaranteed by divinity itself. And when you're talking of something as sacred as a yagna, the purity of the people who are performing the yagna will itself protect the yagna. Hmm. And you are telling this great sage Brahmarishi Vishwamitra is doing a yagna and he is not able to protect his yagna. He has come in search of Teenagers. a couple of teenage prince to come and protect his yagna. She says this is absolutely unacceptable. And that is when Dasharatha wakes up and he says, yeah, absolutely. You know, I never thought of this. <laughs> I never thought of this point. And then Kaushalya goes on to say that, you know, it must only be a test to test the attachment of king and the queen to the children right it is almost as if the student then becomes a teacher now because over thousands of years as you beautifully narrated the story sage Vishwamitra himself has gone through all these tests and he has come out successful victorious and as we discussed earlier these sages they come to society because they have nothing to gain from society it's because the society can benefit and in order to convey those lessons of thousand years in quick short doses that is one example like this where Sage Vishwamitra is now pulling at the heartstrings of King Dasharatha and coaxing him, goading him to give up that attachment because he knows that nothing is going to happen hitting two, three birds with the same stone. One, it reveals Rama's glory. It breaks King Dasharatha's attachment. So finally, when all this happens, you know, Rama and Lakshmana are summoned to the presence of all the elders when after all this discussion is done and Vasishta almost convinces Dasharatha and Dasharatha is almost convinced and you know Swami's writings they show the power of attachment you know Dasharatha is convinced now but the mere sight of Rama and Lakshmana again he falls back into his attachment and he says oh no come on look at them look at those boys coming how can you how can you take them oh Rama how will you face those demons and Rakshasas whom Vishwamitra is talking about they are so ugly to look at <laughs> that just a mere sight of them will send 
shivers down any king's spine even a person who has experience fighting them what about you tender saplings you have never seen oh god how will you ever face oh oh vishwamitra please reconsider again you know he falls back and even rama joins in you know right. swami writes where rama says oh father you know the children of lion will be lion cubs lion cubs don't howl they always roar they also become lions we are kshatriyas and we will do this you know he assures father saying that don't worry don't fear for us by the virtue of us being your children we have your qualities in us so we will be there and he also assures now king dasharatha is almost singled out you know everybody is convincing him his wife kausalya his preceptor vasishta the great sage vishwamitra his own sons rama and lakshmana also who says i will follow my brother wherever he goes because nothing can happen when i am with my brother they all these together finally make dasharatha agree and he says okay go but then you see that remnant of attachment how it is so tough you know to throw attachment he calls out and says oh, Sage Vishwamitra, how will it be if I send you a security guard escort, you know, <laughs> an escort, a private security guard for Rama, Lakshmana, and you? And Vishwamitra almost bursts out laughing. You know, he's just wondering at how Maya or delusion has clouded the king because of his attachment, because of body attachment. <laughs> he says these two youth are coming to protect a yagna from the greatest demons on earth. and you want some security guard for them for along the way no king that will not be necessary this is enough i will just take the two princes and leave now if you look at it there is one particular discourse where swami is talking about attachment in mm-hmm. there swami made a very beautiful point he said this many times and i think there is a verse in the gita also which you quoted once where everything comes from attachment fear comes from attachment desire yeah. desire leads to attachment right. attachment leads to yes it exactly. goes on exactly you know there swami said see attachment also is a quality a human quality which is given for a certain purpose hmm. swami said having attachment to children and your family is not wrong but swami said there should be a ceiling on that attachment and that attachment should be time bound hmm. and he said that is why you have this concept of you know the the grihastashram which is followed by vanaprastashram in fact uh, i remember my colleague sai prakash saying day before yesterday that he was reading through the prema vahini that swami has written it was his swami's right. first work prema vahini in that he says almost an entire chapter is dedicated to vanaprastashram mm-hmm. in that swami delineates as to how one should live vanaprastashram he was mentioning that i mean i am not going to those details one is because i am not fully aware i would like also like to read i just thought i would mention this so that anybody among our listeners is interested can go to the prema vahini it comes somewhere in the middle there is an entire chapter on the way a person should gently and gradually move out of grihastashram and start into the vanaprastashram even in the modern times when actually there are no vana or forests to go to how you can actually live in a forest without actually living in a forest <laughs> in fact uh, swami in that very discourse he says the problem today is people do not venture into that vanaprastashram that grihastashram or that attachment to family and children continues now, that's what we are seeing in dashratha's case and the other beautiful thing is you know the curse which dashratha got you know when he by mistake killed that young hermit shravan kumar he is given the curse that he will die out of the attachment and because of being separated from his son If you look at it you know how many places he has suffered that separation mm-hmm. the way swami writes in this chapter about how dashatha lamens and the million ways in which he is trying to convince vishwamitra that not to take his son it only shows the immense pain which he goes through and the same thing which happened when you know that period where after the pilgrimage you know he finds that his son is not attached to him anymore you know that same pain he has gone so many times through before that ultimate pain which will come to much later in the story and i think prem because possibly a necessary digression that you have taken about shravan kumar story i think this would be the best time to even narrate this little story Definitely. which swami has narrated so many times shravan kumar 
is glorified as a very ideal son both his parents were blind and therefore shravan kumar was their eyes and he was also their hands and legs because they were so old and decrepit that they could not walk about much so he used to carry them you know that is a standard depiction you just have to google shravan kumar you get those paintings where he's got a, a huge Long pole on his shoulder and to either end of the pole are tied two baskets and in each basket sits each of his parents so his father is sitting in one basket his mother in the other basket and shravan kumar carries and goes everywhere it is said that once you know when his father and mother both of them said son we are feeling very thirsty so shravan kumar knew that at a distance there is a small water hole mm-hmm. from where he can get water so instead of carrying his parents till there he thought it would be better that he can quickly rush there get some water and fetch it for his parents so that their thirst can be quenched faster and now when he goes to the watering hole at that time king dasharatha is hunting and king dasharatha is a shabdavedi shabdavedi is he who can shoot without seeing just based on sound in the sense okay. that rustling of paper that you did just now if this room is pitch dark he can know and he can shoot an arrow so that the arrow hits the paper because because of the sound he, because of the sound he can know that so when he hears in the night the sound of shravan kumar taking water from the water hole he mistakes it to be a deer drinking water and he shoots in the dark and shravan kumar is injured and he's in the throes of death and when he's in the throes of death dasharatha realizes his mistake and shravan kumar tells him you please take water to my parents aged parents and take care of them you know hmm. because i'm gone now and shravan kumar breathes his last dasharatha takes the water to his parents gives them and when they get to know they are in such agony they are in such agony and they curse dasharatha they tell that you have no idea you have no idea what we are going through and don't worry you will definitely get an idea what we are going through because you too will die like us in your old age your son whom you will look forward to as your support will not be there and you will be separated from him just as we have been separated from our son and just like we will die in that separation you too will die in that separation that is the curse they pronounce on dasharatha of course it is mentioned as a curse but again you know symbolically this highlights the principle of action and reaction whatever you do inevitably gets back to you and therefore it is so important that every action we do and when we say action it is not only physical activity even mental activity our thoughts our deeds all these constitute action even sleeping and breathing is said to be action by lord krishna and bhagavad gita so we have to be so careful about each of our actions because each action definitely has a reaction a reflection and a resound exactly so that, in fact even when dasharatha uh, gets that curse in a sense he actually draws solace from that curse mm. because we have spoken about dasharatha and how one of the greatest problems he had was he didn't have progeny hmm. and when these parents cursed him that you will die out of separation from your son oh that he, means i'm going to have a son right he realized that the words of, of these pious parents cannot go false so he knew that one day he will have a son that is good news <laughs> <laughs> so though he was very disturbed by the curse he kind of drew solace from that curse and that was what we were saying that you know how much of pain that he has gone through because of that attachment you know here is the mother who's come and she's so bold and vasishta i think every turn of events he has come and told that these are not ordinary children these are not ordinary boys they've come to accomplish something absolutely great and grand but that never seems to deter dashratha from getting attached to the boys and feeling sorry for them yes but finally he has been convinced so in the sense he's forced to send his children so rama and lakshmana they set out with vishwamitra and as they set out the whole town you know it is almost like giving a send off so the whole town gathers in procession and they go till the city gates but beyond that vishwamitra says that it's better nobody 
everybody accompanies them that they would like to carry on on their own uh, you know that is where it ends so all the procession all the ceremonial goodbye the farewell is given till the city gates after which it is only rama lakshmana and sage vishwamitra and uh, from ayodhya they head towards the northeast so they head towards the northeast and the first is they come across river sarayu it is said that ayodhya is in the banks of river sarayu so the river sarayu which swami writes in the ramkatha rasavahini that it has its birth in the manasa sarovar you know manasa sarovar today is a lake that comes on the way to mount kailas it is in tibet i think manasa sarovar right. it's not Manus actually in, in india yeah, you need a chinese visa, visa. to go to manasa sarovar and apparently there's no outlet from manasa sarovar mm-hmm. but you know recently i had been to the himalayas i had been to himalayas even 2 years before every tourist guide in every place you know credits almost most of the rivers as taking their birth in manasa sarovar so i asked them because geographically it doesn't make sense so i asked them how is it you know manasa sarovar is there but then how this is coming from here they say yes it is coming from this spring but this spring is fed by the manasa sarovar so i asked them how they say because manasa sarovar is at a greater altitude than this spring mm-hmm. okay so there are internal connections and they are firmly convinced that all of them take birth in the manasa sarovar and that is why these waters are spiritual because manasa sarovar is a huge lake oceanic sized lake of crystal clear pure water they say that up to 10 20 meters into the water you can see and they say it was a pool created out of brahma's mind mm-hmm. you know and it is symbolic of the mind too and that is why it is called manasa sarovar and in the ramkatha rasavahini swami writes about river sarayu also as taking birth from the manasa sarovar and once they reach the river sarayu that is when we come across another phenomenal episode which swami often talks about in his discourses what was this interesting episode that took place when they stopped at the sarayu river it is something that is so poignant because this is a trap or this is a mistake that all of us make in our lives so frequently irrespective of what is our spiritual growth and that is what swami always highlights using this episode we have got a clip of swami describing that episode and we have got so many insights which swami has given based on that episode but i think prem what do you think we will keep that as a suspense for our next i think we satsang. should because it is something as you said swami has repeated many many times and i think it would be fair to give it a good amount of time and dwell on it in detail so dear listeners that's it for this week hope just like our lord shri hanuman here with us you too have enjoyed this satsang on the beautiful story of lord rama which is of course inextricably intermingled with the beautiful story of our sai rama we will continue this story the next week in the next satsang exactly where we stopped off that is on the banks of river sarayu the beautiful sarayu you know i had been there prem this uh, summer it, it, uh, it had shrunk because of the summer but it feels so beautiful sitting in the sarayu it was at a place called uh, bageshwar okay so it felt so beautiful and the story of bageshwar is something separate and it's in but, the state of uh, it's in the state of uttarakhand uttarakhand okay I must mention one beautiful episode that happened totally unconnected mm-hmm. but just because Bageshwar came up I went to a shop over there to buy some cool drinks okay and I asked for the cool drink and he got it I saw the MRP the maximum retail price on that cool drink was 35 rupees mm-hmm. so I asked him how much it is he said it is 40 mm-hmm. then I said it says 35 here then he said it says 35 there but you know I need my 5 rupees so basically the 
these places are so far high up in the mountains that it's a lot of effort to even fetch all these supplies. Okay. So people often charge more than that. So I didn't want to argue. I just said, you know what, sir, you keep your five rupees. If you want to keep some more, you can keep some more also. Just said it like that, you know. Immediately I was shocked because that person seemed so overwhelmed. He says, sir, you are somebody very special. I didn't know for what because five rupees is not a big deal. But he felt something and he said, sir, you are very special, sir. It's not about five rupees, sir. It's not about five rupees. Others also give more but they have a kind of grumbling about them. You are so happily giving it. It's so wonderful, sir. Ah, where are you coming from? You know. Mm-hmm. Then I said, I'm coming from Puttaparthi. He was silent. So I thought maybe he didn't get it. So I said, you know, Satisai Baba. And I pulled out my wallet. In my wallet, I always have this picture of uh, Swami and me together on an aircraft. So that is a picture that's close to my heart. And I keep it very close in my wallet also. So I just showed it to him and said, see, this is my Swami. Won't believe it, Prem. He had tears in his eyes. He was just standing. And he said, Are, ye to Bhagwan hai. Ye to Bhagwan hai. He said, this is my Lord. So I was just silent. I said, yeah, yeah, he is my Bhagwan also. And he said, sir, if you don't mind, can I just hug you once? I said, sure. He embraced me so much. And he said, not only have you spoken sweetly, you have shown me my Lord today. I'm so happy. May God bless you. May God bless you with, and he pronounced so many blessings. And I came back, you know, having paid five rupees extra and having gained so many things more. I came and shared this with everyone. It, it felt so beautiful. It felt so beautiful that Uttarakhand is known as the land of God. It is called Daiva Bhumi. And believe it or not, Prem, any part you go there, everybody knows Swami. Everybody knows Swami. They might not have come to Prashantilyam. But everybody knows Swami in a positive way. They have great respect and regard for Him. You just show His photograph. They say, of course we know Him. He's God. Of course we know Him. He's God. It is amazing how because there's no public media, nothing there. It's just that it is Daiva Bhumi. And every particle of sand there resonates with divinity. It is but natural that they discover divinity. So, you know, that's why I said the beautiful banks of river Sarayu. Of course, river banks are beautiful. But Sarayu seems more beautiful because it is associated with divinity. So dear listeners, we leave you with these beautiful thoughts on the banks of River Saryu from where we will take up further next week. Thank you. Jai Sairam. Sairam, you just heard an episode of our radio program Afternoon Satsang. This was a segment of Radio Sai's Thursday Live, hosted by Prem and Arvind at 12.30pm Indian Standard Time on Thursdays, only on Asia stream of Radio Sai Global Harmony. The discussion was on the Ramakatha Rasavahini, a book written by Swami, and today's episode was first broadcast live on 19th June 2014. Dear listeners, we hope you like this program. As always, send us your feedback to listener at radiosai.org. Thank you and loving Sairam from Prashant Nilayam.